0: Awesome! Thanks, guys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start everything off with saying, "Hey, uh, I haven't actually met him yet." Uh, electric guitarist. I apologize for moving all of your stuff. <laughs> my bad. I uh, I uh, in my job, I get to as a pastor, I get to hang out with worship teams and things, and. They sound good because they're particular about their stuff, so I, uh, I love them. I, th- it's great, and I know not to touch their stuff normally, but we pivoted. <sighs> okay, so here's, here's a couple things you need to know this morning from me, is that we have some scripture that's going to be visible for you on the screen, and some that isn't. P.S., that's all intentional, okay? Like, uh, we want to knock the dust off of our Bibles, and uh, I will do my best... with with whatever pace I go at this morning, which to be totally honest with you, I have no idea because I'm coming fresh off a youth conference. Like I got home at like 10.30 last night from Thrive Unleashed, it happens down in Sacramento. The few woos are from the only survivors of that. And so thank you for joining me this morning. You guys are champs. Uh, and so uh, you may get something really speedy or you may get something that sounds a little bit like I, I'm, I'm running on fumes. But either way, uh, I'm trusting that the Lord has something for all of us this morning. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know a few of the references if we don't have uh, the verses on the screen. And if you want to be able to open your Bible and chase those down, great. I do know at one point today you will not be able to flip your Bibles open fast enough, okay? So I'm just going to give you references, write them down so you basically have a little bit of homework this week, okay? Uh, With that said, here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I'm giving you a second to get there. This is the how-to series, and we're going to talk about how to... Be a covert Christian. And kind of in a way, I, I felt really odd about saying it that way. So we can even say not so covert. Because at some point, hopefully you hear from me this morning, that you can't be that covert. You can't be so secretive about Jesus and your faith uh, that when you need to talk about him. okay? You, it, it's an oxymoron kind of thing. So uh, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4. 11 through 12, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Okay, quick context for you. It's a good word, by the way quick context for you. This is a guy by the name of Paul. He was considered an apostle and uh, wrote most of what we know and call in, uh, in uh, the church, in Christianity, the New Testament, okay? And uh, these were letters to groups of people just like you and me. And so when he's writing this, there's certain things he's going after, He had spent some time with them. He had talked to them about Jesus in his various style and way. We'll get into some, not specifically his, but we'll get into some of that for ourselves this morning. But he spent time with these people. And somewhere along the way, when he left and went on and moved to other communities and other other cities and other regions, essentially states or countries, all he had left was the news that was getting passed along to him from various friends and people that were traveling and crossing paths with him. So at this point, he says, hey, do, do your best to live a quiet life. I don't know what kind of life they were living, but apparently they needed to chill out a little bit <laughs> and then mind your own business. Ooh, Spicy. I mean, when you're getting a letter from a friend, that's what you want to hear, right? And so it goes on and on and on. I think this is fitting for today because uh, this is what it seems like of what's promoted. We're living in a cultural climate that's hostile to Christianity. Now, let me be really clear. I actually agree with that statement, and I don't agree with that statement. Sounds a little weird and hypocritical. We'll explain. Recently, I heard a story from a college student. I have not asked them, but it doesn't matter. I'm not sharing any real details. Um, I haven't asked them to be able to do this, so they're remaining nameless, and the details are remaining nameless, but I heard a story from a college student who at one point in their life uh, back in high school, they stopped going to church, stopped going to youth group. Because as they were wrestling with this faith thing called Christianity and Jesus, all they had to go on was the messages they were hearing and the people around them. And they were hearing a good message but when they looked at everybody around them, they didn't see that message. And they were like, well, like, if this is just a bunch of words filling space and air, I'm out. Like, this doesn't work for me. Like, I want something real. I want something tangible. I want something authentic. And so for a while, she was out. She was out. Now, God, in his amazing love, has helped her navigate her way back in and into some real, real faith and some, some real relationship. But there's a chance it feels like, from our perspective, that we almost lost her. Because a bunch of people weren't living this thing out for themselves. And I'd love to tell you in my two decades of ministry, this is the only time this has ever happened. But the tragedy is I have too many stories that I don't want to remember. I just, I'm over it. And I'm not going to apologize for getting emotional this morning. This is real life, people. And it's not just young people. It's adults, too. I, I have had neighbors and people I've lived next to that have abandoned walking in doors like these because of people who came to them in the name of Jesus and looked nothing like him. And then I had a ginormous mountain to climb. Huge. Some of them are the biggest mountains I've ever climbed in my life. Because, because that's what people set up for me. To love them and show them that that's not who Jesus is, and that's not the way, the way he thinks about them, and that's not the way he responds to them, even in their hot mess. So where are we going? Well, number one, we got to understand the situation. Our society and culture, we got to know a little bit about it. And a friend of mine, one of our youth leaders, um, Catherine Prohoda, she is great with resources and books, and so our high school um, leaders... Uh, meet once a month, and we, we go through a chapter in a book. This is the new one we're, we're getting ready to start. It's called Not Beyond Reach. How to Share Jesus with Young uh, the Young, the de- uh, Deconstructed, and the Non-Religious by Aaron Pierce. Uh, so far, I'm not through it yet, but so far, it is really, really good if you're interested in that title. I highly recommend it. But I started reading this, and in the book... Uh, Aaron Pierce says, Deep down, everyone is wounded, longing for relationships and belonging and open to truth. And I want to highlight something everyone, you included, me included, everyone is wounded. This is why Jesus came, to help put some healing back in our lives to get us there, but we're in process. And so when we're talking in terms, if you, if you walk with Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, you're following him, and we're talking in terms today of those that are in our lives that don't, we've got we to change our perspective. We've got to get over this, that it's them and us. Who, it's we. We're all wounded. We all need the same person and the same thing. Some of us have gotten there already, and the others need some help. And so in this book, he, he makes this bold statement near the beginning, but then he goes on in, um, in a few pages later, and I want to read you a couple stats. I'm going to get a little bit nerdy for those of you who like it. Uh, and, and page 19 of, of this book it says, and I'll, I'll read the, this whole little section because it'll give you some context. Recent research, by the way, this research wasn't necessarily done by Christians. It, uh, one, of, one of the polls that they took, one, uh, one of the research groups is actually for voting purposes. So they want to know what the demographic is in our country so that, you know, those going out to get votes know who to reach and where to find them. And so... Uh, recent research that um, said that the fastest growing religious group in the United States is the religious, uh, this is what they're calling the religiously unaffiliated, the nons. Not a big fan of the title, but, but here we go. That's what they're calling them. The entire category constitutes 29% of the American adults in 2021 which was up from 19% 10 years earlier. So if you haven't figured out the numbers yet, it means it's growing. The shift is, uh, is most pronounced among who we call millennials, those born 1981, roughly, through 1996. I'm a border child, I'm somewhere in the Gen X, millennial, I don't know what I am, so, so it works. <laughs> Is that that what they're calling it? Cool. I didn't know I had a name. Awesome. Or a title. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Zennial? Okay. There it is. Now I know. Gen Gen Zs uh, are the other group that they're really looking at, and uh, they're born 1997 through 2012. According to this new study, 38% of millennials were nons in 2016. Just six years later, 44%. Do the math, it's, I had to, it's 6%. Gen Z, listen to this one. P.S., so if you, if you haven't figured out the, 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 uh, the decades here, you got uh, Gen X, whatever I am, Gen Z, Zenial, all right, and then Millennials, all right, and then Gen Z, and then we actually go back to Alpha, which are like fifth grade now and, and younger. So anyway, here we go. The next group, so you got the Millennials, now the next generation that's coming up, here's where they're at. Gen Z's made up 39% of the non's in 2016, and that has now gone up to 49%. Is almost a ten percent jump in six years. So, if, if you're if you're picking up what I'm laying down, there's a trend. Less and less people are associating with the church. Less and less people are associating with institutional religion as a whole. So that's that's name it: Islam, Judaism. Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, all the big ones, Christianity included, they're saying, uh, I'm not connected with you. I don't even know what that is. And they're pretty, they are, when I say disconnected, they're disconnected. They may not even have heard the name Jesus before outside of a TV show or some TikTok video, if they're lucky. That even comes up in their feed. That's where we're at. These, these, uh, these groups are adults. This is where our culture and society is at. And I've learned working with younger gener- the younger generation that this is true, but also... Another truth is that they struggle to trust the institutional structure of religion now. They don't. So what's that mean? I I know some of us in here are like, Chris, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Yeah, not to everybody outside of Jesus and Christianity. And so, so here's where we're at. If they don't trust, they're not coming in the doors. So, we've got to figure out how to build trust. We've got to show them something real and authentic and what this is really about. Not just some institution, not some religious structure. And here's where this gets fun. I've learned this about them too. They do respect, are you ready? They do respect authenticity and consistency of a faith-based person's life. That should give us hope. It should give us a ton of hope. At least if we're living out our faith. If we're going to invite people to church, then we're going to have to accept... uh, Sorry, let me read this the way I wrote it. (laughs) If we're going to invite people to church and they're going to accept that invite and come here, and I mean neighborhood church, our hospitality and our genuineness better match what the, the persons who put the invite out. Responsibility is on you. If I give the ask to my neighbor and they come, I'm putting a whole lot of trust in you. That when they walk through this door, they're going to encounter the same Jesus that's inside me. Let that sit. This is a long pause because it needs to be. This is the state of the American church. This is what I pray about all the time. This is what I'm begging God for. Covert Christianity requires simple conversations about spiritual things, and here's the win. Are you ready? Society and our culture are actually having all kinds of spiritual conversations. You know how I know? National championship for college football. All right? I was really invested in this because my team, University of Washington, go dogs. um, they were in the natty uh, against one of my, as I was raised by my father, one of our all-time nemesis, the University of Michigan. And it's an extra painful thing for me because they lost to them, and I grew up in Michigan. uh, An hour away from uh, U of M, the big house, and uh, uh, I, <sighs> I, got, I got a buddy. Um, where's the camera? I, Mike, congratulations. I know it is like a month overdue, but I, he always listens to every time I, I teach or preach. Uh, he preaches as well back there in Michigan, and uh, he's a huge fan, and I have not had the heart to say anything till now. Uh, <laughs> truth, just being, being real. <laughs> But here's, here's what I wanted to highlight from this. Three, three times that I could count and I picked up on during the national championship, the quarterback for Michigan, um, his last name's McCarthy, talented kid, really talented. They highlighted his routine before, the game, before his game starts. So what he does is he goes to one of the end zones And sits down at the goalposts, crosses his legs, puts his hands out on his knees, and begins to visualize his game that he's about to play. His visualization, hard word for me, he's believing, as he visualizes it, he's literally creating a new reality as he's sitting there, that he's already he's already shaping the future. Not just like, hey, I want to encourage myself and I'm getting focused. He's literally believing he's shaping the future. How do I know this? Because they talked about it three different times in the game. I didn't even know that. I was like, oh, this is the only place, that is the only place I've received this information was from the game. They at one point flash back in between plays and they show him sitting there doing it and and they said, and then he goes into a meditative state afterwards. People, that's spiritual. It is. Like, it's full-on spirit, spiritual stuff. Whether, whether he considers himself religious or not, that's not the point. He's doing a spiritual act. And, he, and he's doing it in front of the world. And not just him. There's a lot of people. But the commentators highlighted it. It's become a part of the conversation, and a part. it's interwoven into our lives, and it's coming out all over the place. So if we're feeling hesitant to have these conversations, we don't need to be. Everyone else is having them. What are you waiting for? Let's get started. So I'm excited about that. I know that it could be really discouraging. I heard that, and I, I mean, that's, that's not what I believe, and that's not the faith I have in Jesus I want something different from McCarthy. I mean, but the reality is I was really excited. I'm like, I can't believe it. Oh, we've arrived. We're having spiritual conversations all over the place. Sweet. The, the door is open. I'm running through it. Let's go. <laughs> so here's what we need, though, to make that move, okay, is to understand the power. So we've understand, we're understanding the situation now. Now we've got to understand the power. This part is so important, the importance of us sharing our faith and life with others is covert Christianity. There's a book uh, that I heard about, and so I'm being very, I'm very, I'm very open about this. This is a book that I've heard about on a podcast that I can't wait to read, but I'm not ready to recommend because I haven't read it yet, okay? But it's by a guy by the name of John Mark Comer. It's his new book, and it's called Practicing the Way. The book is about uh, the lifestyle of followers of Jesus, what has been uh, in ancient times and is necessary as markers of uh, Christianity and Christians in a world that doesn't know Jesus. And on the podcast, talking about the book, he he states that uh, in his research for this book, he learned about a thing called stage theory uh, as a way to kind of see the course of a Christian's life. So, I think it has other applications outside of our faith and Christianity, but that he was noticing trends, even from ancient Christians, and writer, like people 2,000 years ago and on, about some of these things. And here's, here's what it looks like. Um, and I put the podcast, if you're interested in what episode and things like that, but uh, number one, here's the stages. He's kind of seen, if you're someone like me who likes the structure uh, kind of stuff, recognition of God. That is literally the point and place where we come to salvation, what we, in terms of the church, call salvation, where we meet and begin a relationship with Jesus. So that's number one. Number two, life of discipleship. It's not a one-and-done deal at that moment. If you didn't know, I'm letting you in on it now, that with Jesus, the ex- if there's any expectation, it's this— that you're with him forever. It's a, it's a lifetime and beyond thing, okay? So, so he wants to do life with you when you have breath here and when you have your breath in eternity. Like, like, he's like, let's make this permanent. I love you. And so life of discipleship is learning how to do life with Jesus, doing things with him together. Third is this, productive life. Um, that's when we're like, hey, I've been disciple for a while, and then all of a sudden, uh, I, I, I kind of get these urges to like, love people and serve people and do things around, around maybe uh, my church on a Sunday or during the week, but also in my community, and I kind of want to let people know about Jesus, and and so that's a productive life number four: journey inward. Um, journey inward is. Uh, a path, a, a thing, I kind of like the way it's called because I haven't known what to call that, and I'm like, oh, you give me words, that's great. Uh, when you're learning about yourself, and not in a, like a selfish way, of the way God made you, of the things you need healing from, uh, whether it's, it's trauma from your past, to and when you choose to let Jesus in on that, or uh, maybe origins, like family origins. And I have some fun ones. Uh, (laughs) It's messy stuff, like most of us. And when God somewhere in your life says, hey, did you realize this? And I go, no. And he goes, well, you do now. And we start walking through it. That's that journey inward, they call it. And then journey outward is when you go, oh, God's got me in this place where now I want to help people do the same thing. I want to walk. It looks a lot like number three, but this is less about, hey, I'm making sure that I'm doing this, and and being productive and going, God, you're doing it all. <laughs> like I'm just along for the ride, but I'll step in where you want me to. Like it, it's just a perspective shift. And then last, which God, please. It would be amazing if I could get to this place someday. Life of love. Where everything about you just oozes the kingdom of God and Jesus. Where literally when people are standing next to you, they're like, what in the world is up with this person? This is incredible. I just want to be around you. I mean, you're a little weird and different, but like, because you're not like everybody and thing else, but this works for me. Like, I don't know why, but I am like drawn in like there's like a laser beam just sucking me over to you. And that's the life of love. It's the magnetism that Jesus had when he was walking around. All right, so we've got that. And John Mark Comer uh, emphasizes that the interaction with God is what moves us through each of these seasons or stages of our journey. So I wanted to make sure that's clear. And have you heard of this guy or seen him before? Yeah, Uh, he will be in the Super Bowl uh, next week. He's the quarterback for the, uh, gosh, San Francisco 49ers. That is not a gosh. They're my favorite team, but uh, I am rooting for them. So uh, Brock Purdy, and he's been in in the media a lot lately. Uh, He is coming across my feeds all too often. And it's for this reason that I don't know him personally, but he's the, he said he walks with Jesus. Amen. And I put two words up there. This is why. Because as I've listened to multiple interviews where he's made these statements, journey is the first word that continues to pop up in all of his statements. The second one, I think he's actually said once. But what he actually expresses and describes is the second word, lifestyle. Here's why I'm highlighting him. Because one of the few times I've heard rock star status person actually explain the Christian faith the way it really is. And he does it so nonchalantly because I'm like, yeah, it's an everyday thing. It's pretty nonchalant. Like, Like, he's like, hey guys, Like, my strength, my ability to do this. Look, I was given some skills. I've worked really hard to hone those in. And uh, those tough moments where I got to stay focused and calm, uh, I spend time with Jesus. And he has taught me the process of that. Like, those are almost verbatim some of his words. And he's just go, yeah, yeah, that's exactly the life I'm living. (laughs) And so I'm trusting that he's walking with Jesus. Uh, I think it's great. But journey and lifestyle. I'm like, I think this is a guy who gets it. And it's nice that he's sharing that with the world. And I'm really glad that he's doing that. And he's made that statement. And uh, I have been praying for him and his character and his lifestyle that they match his platform. Because we don't need somebody, somebody else out there whose character and lifestyle don't do that. We've got enough of that. That's why we're climbing mountains. So I am going to say this uh, to us as a family, as a church: Please don't make him an idol, for your own sake and for the people you hang out with. Please don't make him an idol. We have a toxic habit in the American church of looking for the rock star Christian to reach our communities, when God's answer has always been you. His plan is not for him to reach your neighbors. It's you. I'm not even kidding about that. My neighbors neighbors that don't know Jesus don't care about his faith. They care about mine because I live next door to them. I do life around them and with them. They want to know what it's worth. And like Brock... Introducing people to Jesus does not happen without God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why? I'll tell you why this verse is there. Because of the authority God has given you, you can love people. Because of the image God has given you, you can see people. Because of the freedom God has given you, you can hear people. Because of the power God has shared with you, you can do all things through Christ. We have impact because of Jesus' presence and work in our lives. The work God wants to do is a perspective shift for us, so buckle up. We've got a few minutes, and I'm going to try and go a little bit quicker here, but I want you guys to see this, because for a long time, I thought I was out. There was no way that God was going to give me a place, sometimes a platform, but really my real platform is on, on my neighborhood street, and I thought, there's no way. There's no way, people, no way God's going to work that out. Because of my imperfections, my weaknesses, my mistakes, sometimes even my sin. And then I'd hear, I heard a verse like Matthew 5:48, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. And I go, yep, I'm out. <laughs> Thanks for finishing that off, Jesus. I appreciate it. But did you know that perfect is not the most accurate translation from the Greek? This is one of my favorite passages in all the Scripture because I don't, I'm kind of weird because we get it wrong, I think. Perfect. I want you for five seconds to, to sit here and do this. Define it. In your head, define perfect. I mess with our high schoolers especially. Don't do this very often with the junior highs because I think it's cruel. Um, but I but I'll ask a, a student every once in a while to find perfect for me when they say it. You know what? Nine out of ten times I get. Yep. And it's not them. If I asked you, you'd do the same thing. Like that's that's for most of us. I I'm God, if I were a Batman, I put some down right on the stage and go, someone give me the definition of perfect. And here's the embarrassing part for me. In all my years of thinking this way and asking that question, I never actually looked up the definition of perfect until this week. I was like, you know what? Let's look it up and see. So Webster's Dictionary. Here's the two closest things to some kind of definition we have, all right? Perfect. is corresponding to an ideal standard or abstract concept, right? Like, I'm like, but that doesn't define it. Like, that, that's not, that's still an abstract thing. Like, is perfect an abstract thing? Not the way we talk about it. Here's, a, here's the next one that actually is kind of the closest, I think. And I was like, ooh, I literally had to dig for this. Uh, faithfully reproducing the original. I was like, okay, okay, we can, we can kind of work with that. But in an imperfect world, how, how's that happen? Most of all, this is what you find when you go into Webster's Dictionary. Are you ready? Eight to ten adjectives, which essentially an adjective has its own description of what that word means, to describe perfect. It's just a list of adjectives, and you're like, what is perfect? <laughs> here's here's what I, here's my conclusion. There isn't a good definition in the English language for the word perfect. So we should probably take it out of our vocabulary. Especially when we read a verse like this. It's just going to set us up for a lot of heartache and grief. Jesus didn't give us an ambiguous word to frustrate us. It's not how he works, just so you know. When it got translated, for some reason they picked perfect. And I have no idea why, so as a pastor I cannot stand up here and tell you. I was not in the room. But what I can tell you is the word is this. Teleoi. Okay? In the Greek, the word actually means mature. Changes some things, doesn't it? Mature is described, this, tip, this particular word, teleway, is described five different places in, in, in the Bible, and it's specifically in the New Testament. Matthew 5:48, and it's speaking about loving. It's actually where the verse we just saw comes from. Then 1 Corinthians 14.20 is very simply about thinking. Like you mature in your thinking. It actually talks about going from the way you looked at the world as a kid, and now the way you look as a, at the world as an adult. Yeah, it's maturing. And so it talks about it that way. And Philippians 3.15, thinking spiritually. It's the same type concept, just in a spiritual context. You're going from childishness in your spirituality to whatever adult looks like, immaturity. And then Colossians 4.12, living spiritually. So there's a maturity in not just thinking that way, but in how you express it. And then James 1.4, wisdom. Boy, do we need that. And so there's a growth, a maturity that happens in it. God is helping create space, moments in our lives that make us choose between maturity and immaturity. That is our life. As believers, as people who walk with Jesus, that's, that's the journey. It's constantly that over and over again in every in all situations in our life. Every encounter with a person, every, every stressful moment of how are our bills going to get paid, like... Uh, our car just broke down to, for us recently, our dog dying. And all those things, you, they're moments, they're spaces, they're opportunities for us to learn and step into a new place of maturity or stay there and be immature. And I just want to tell you really quick that people that you Are going to encounter neighbors, friends, family that are looking for truth, that are open for truth, and are having spiritual conversations, but they haven't found Jesus yet. According to our American definition of perfect, they don't need us perfect, they need us present. Not fully mature, but present. So, this is what leads us to understanding the approach. The goal isn't to get someone to church. I didn't know if you knew that, but it's not. It's for them to encounter the living God through you. My wife and I regularly, we do regularly have conversations about our values and purposes in life and how that looks like being ambassadors as uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul, that guy who wrote, like I said, a lot of stuff, uh, wrote to a group of believers. But we talk about being ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom to people around us. How does that work? What pivot do we need to make? How, how can we love on that person? It, constantly at our house. And that does include our neighbors. We've talked about the place we start, uh, where's the place that we start with a person, and we've, we've kind of landed on some of these things that um, it's for them to know that they're seen and they're heard because we're all wounded in some way and need some care, and when we feel seen and safe, then we open up, and this is that covert part and not so covert. I mean, be kind and, and care. <laughs> but expect that someone's going to open up to you. And you might hear some things that you didn't plan on or didn't even want to hear. <laughs> be in the moment. Continue to care the best you can. Because remember, we're all maturing. We're not all there yet. So if you don't have all the answers and you don't have it all, it's Okay. You got Holy Spirit. He'll help. You got power. So when they open up, that's when we care for them, the way Jesus did for us and does for us. And so without knowing, so without knowing it, I've had moments where I went, they're having church with me. <laughs> they don't even know it. They're encountering the living God through me. This is amazing. I want you to have the same experience. This doesn't have to be complicated, and I'll prove it. My wife and kids, not me, I was out on these, these, these couple things. My wife and kids, over the last few years, uh, have found fun ways to love our neighbors. Uh, one one seven in particular, they actually just moved, so uh, they're no longer in Chico. But, um, but during, during the pandemic, uh, they collected Easter eggs. And uh, uh, on I can't remember if it was the night before Easter morning, one of the two, but they went and in the, because we have access to their backyard, uh, they went and we're neighbors. It's, it's how it works sometimes. And so we went and uh, they went and uh, divvied out Easter eggs for the kids. Why? So they could have fun in a really hard season. And on uh, their son's birthday, as a fun surprise, they just went and bought balloons and tied them all along the fence. So people driving by on the street, there's just balloons everywhere, and and uh, they loved it. It was like, honestly, to me, I'm like, I complicate things. So I'm like, you, these people have gone crazy over this. They they were seen. They were noticed especially their kids. You love, and Andrew says it all the time. Our pastor, like, you love people's kids. You're loving those people. You're loving, you're loving the parents. You're going straight for their heart. The motivation wasn't to get them to church. It was just to love them and be the church. To show they genu- that we genuinely cared about them. Did we want them to come? Yeah. Did we make invites? Absolutely. They didn't show up. So does that mean our mission failed? No. Not at all. Actually, I know the wife started after all of those, those moments, all of a sudden the wife started opening up and having some really amazing conversations with my wife, Rhonda. And because my, my wife has a sweet spot for that, like, genuinely, she built for it. Like, she has, she has emotional capacity of, I, I don't, okay? Like, I, she has an emotional capacity that I cannot describe. And um, that she could more than empathize, she could also be compassionate. and Say, hey, I've seen Jesus do this in my life. nothing else. Plant a seed, right? So how to convert a covert lifestyle. I told you, here's the verses. So get a pen out, get a paper out if you haven't already, and I'm going to give you some addresses in the Bible to uh, write down and look up later. And we're, I promise we're done. Matthew 5, verse 37. And I'll give you a quick summary. It says, let your yes be yes and your no no beyond this. It comes from evil things, the evil one. Here's the point. Stick with your commitments, especially to people who don't follow Jesus. Matthew 5, 44 through 48. It's actually a little bit of the section we've been talking about. I'll just tell you, uh, it says love your enemies. So love others even if you disagree or they're hostile towards you. Colossians 4. Sorry, I, we're going to good speed. Okay, great. Colossians 4, verses 2 and 3 says something to the effect, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and then pray for us to do do the things that need to. Sorry, I added something there. Pray for us to, sorry, not do, to, that God may open a door for our message. So pray, but also we need to have this awareness that we need discernment And uh, knowing the right kind of words to the type of people we're in front of. The type of people we're in front of. There's all kinds. I'm a certain way. My wife's a certain way. I want you talking to me differently than you talk to my wife because I won't understand it. All right? Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards as it got translated, outsiders, but just people who don't, don't walk with Jesus. Make the most of every opportunity, and then it goes on from there. So understand the moment. Be more interested in them than yourself. Be interested and in authentic. Uh, sorry, be interested and in authentically interesting. You'll see it in the last part of that verse. In Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man a woman reaps what they sow. And here's here's a strong word. God is not to be blamed. Listen, if you're harsh or argumentative because of, usually it's these top three things: money, politics, and religion. Don't be surprised that the other person isn't interested in in what you were. uh, Sorry, isn't interested in what you are saying or the or the conversation you're having. I've learned from mistakes. If you aren't listening to understand, don't be surprised if the conversation just dies out. We reap what we sow. Galatians 6.10 As we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially those in the family of God. When there's an opportunity, let's do things with the good of others in mind. And not just for our church family the way we do things with our people here in terms of like being good and, and blessing people and loving them. Great. If you do that, you've got all the practice you need to go do that with people who don't know Jesus. This was your training ground. Well done. Now you've matured. Go bless some people who don't know Jesus. So we got to understand the situation, the power, and the approach. I am thankful for whoever did the Amplified Bible. We're going to leave it with Jesus' words. But from the Amplified Version, check this verse out. It's the one we've already seen. This is Matthew five forty-eight. You, therefore, will be perfect. Then they went to explain what that means. Growing in spiritual maturity, both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life. As your Heavenly Father is perfect is doing those exact same things. Keep growing. Go do it. This is a fun year. 2024 is lined up for us to be this way, to be covert in our faith. So love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me. Um, prayer teams, if you guys can come on down. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray for healing. But um, if there's... You need wisdom in a financial situation. If, if, if you need more discernment and wisdom in your life, Lord, hmm, come on down. We'd love, we'd love to partner with you in prayer. These people um, that come down here and pray for us, that they're not judging. They're helping. They're like, I want to partner with you as you are advancing the kingdom into this world. Or right now, just hanging on. Come down, get some prayer if you need that, want that. With that said, let me pray for us and get us out of here. God, thank you so much for your grace, for your, uh, your, your mercy, for your patience, and for your encouragement. Jesus, I don't know why we made a funny, a, a ridiculous word out for maturity. But I'm so grateful that when you look at me, you see a good man who's a work in progress. And you're like, dude, just keep going. Just keep going. And so I'm telling you in front of all my friends and family, God, I'm going to keep going. Because somebody spoke into my life about you and changed it forever. And I want to be that kind of person for other people. So God, would you, would you challenge us, convict us if we need it? Would you uh, remind us and move in us to be all of us here, to be those people to this community? And when you give us a platform for beyond it, that we would just say yes and embrace it and have fun on the journey with you. Would you give us that? Would you grant us the perspective of growing in our faith in maturity, and that it's a journey and it's a process. We just need to just keep going, keep loving people the best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a great Sunday, and uh, I guess go Niners.